Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week, let's get into our message now. Uh, we were talking about, we started Sermon 48. <clears throat> we got the first life point. If you have the notes, if you're using the PDFs that's on uh, Church Center, uh, you can just open that Sermon 48 back up, and, uh, or if you saved it to, to another, another part, uh, we'll, we'll continue on with that. But the life point we saw was don't abide in guilt and or the blame game, but embrace the joy of God's forgive, uh, grace and forgiveness. And uh, the reason why we talked about that is because Joseph had charged his brothers, who he had sent back home to get his dad, uh, to not fight as they went back home. They had every reason to blame themselves. They had every reason to abide in guilt. But Joseph gave them that charge. Look, don't fight as you go back home because that was, that's the flesh's tendency. Way to go, Judah. Way to go, Simeon. Way to go. Why didn't you do something? Now we look like fools. Now we're going to go back home. We're going to do this. And again, the blame game. Uh, guilt. They could have all done that. But when we abide in guilt or when we begin to play the blame game, the questions that arise is do we not minimize the blood of Christ? Do we not minimize this mind-blowing truth that God forgives us and cleanses us when we ask him to forgive us? When we don't embrace his grace and we don't embrace his forgiveness, I believe that's what we're doing. We're saying, you know what? The blood isn't as strong as it truly is. See, there's a difference between abusing grace and rightly embracing it, and that's what we talked about last week. Two charges, embrace God's grace, but don't abuse it. Many people do what they want to do in this life, and then they say, well, God's grace is amazing. Many people disregard the commands of God, and they say, well, God's grace. And again, they abuse the grace of God, saying that, well, I've got my hat hung on this fact that I'm saved because I said a prayer, and I'm going to heaven because I call myself a Christian. And again, so many people miss out on what the beauty of God's grace really is. Because when you enter into that relationship and you experience the grace of God, there's nothing about you that wants to abuse that. You enter into God's grace, you enter into his forgiveness, it's a humbling reality. It's a humbling experience. You want to do just the opposite. You want to say, man, I don't ever want to mess up. God, I, don't, I don't ever want to, uh, I don't want to ever take, take for granted or take advantage of your grace, God. So again, if you're in a place in your life where you're saying, well, I just, I, I do this or I don't do that, but you know, God's grace covers me. I really, I really, as we said last week, really challenge you to evaluate where your heart is in your relationship with the Lord. Because I just don't see anybody in scripture that ever encountered the grace of God in a life-changing way that abused the grace of God like that. Now we see all throughout the Old Testament history of the, the Israelites abusing it. We see other people abusing the grace of God, but we never see a child of God born again looking for reasons to do that. Paul even says that. Don't use the liberty you've given for an occasion of flesh, but use it to serve one another in love. And so again, we, we, we have these things. But again, the reason why this is such, such an important point, as I said, Joseph sent his brothers back home to get their father, but he didn't just send them back home with this charge, don't fight. He sent them back home with a lot of blessings. Pharaoh got wind of it. If you were here, you remember Pharaoh said, whoa, 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 Joseph's my guy. What, his family is coming back. Let's take care of them. Send them everything and tell them that when they come, they're going to have the very best of everything Egypt has to offer. Don't worry about the stuff you may leave behind because we're going to give you the very best of what Egypt has. And again, this was all inside of this reality 
that they had done him so wrong over a couple decades before. Again, this is, these are the blessings, this is the grace, this is all of the, uh, the, the, the examples that we see in the Scripture, and they serve as a reminder for us. I think of a few things. Number one, that God's forgiveness is a final thing based on the finished work of Christ. See, if you've been saved, then all of your sins have been forgiven. They've been covered. It's a final thing, and it's based off of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's such an amazing relief. That's that burden that gets taken off of us. The moment that we get saved, we realize that the finished work of Jesus Christ is that indeed. It's finished. He doesn't have to keep dying. We don't have to keep putting ourselves underneath the blood. We are under the blood. We are covered because of Jesus Christ. And when we enter into this relationship with him through faith, that blood that covers us is something that never goes away. I love the song, the blood will never lose its power. His grace also is extended to us in his forgiveness. Again, this forgiveness that we sometimes have a hard time living with in our lives because we, we tend to listen to the guilt that, that Satan throws our way. I'm not talking about conviction. I'm talking about the guilt. His forgiveness, again, we need to remember, is a judicially final fact. It's done. I said, man, I don't, man, I've messed up so much even as a Christian. I just don't know. No, listen, you are covered under the blood of Christ. Again, that's, the, that's, why, that's why Joseph said, don't fight when you go back. It's done. Joseph had already forgiven them. He, now he's sending them with blessings and grace. It was a done deal. I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, there have been times where I've really struggled with guilt. Really struggled with why, why do I still deal with this? Or why is this still an issue? Or why is this still in the back? You know, you, you, you can beat yourself up for a lot of stuff. It's different than the conviction that happens when you commit the sin. If you're a Christian and you sin, it's very clear the Holy Spirit convicts you. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job, according to Scripture, tells us, is to instruct us and convict us. And so when we sin as a Christian, we absolutely experience conviction. But once we truly repent and we confess that sin and God forgives us because he said he forgives us when we confess it. There's sometimes that, that lingering guilt that the enemy likes to throw at us. God's not going to use you anymore. Hey, if everybody knew about this or hey, do you think that somebody who God uses is going to constantly struggle with something like that? You think that God would use somebody that constantly picks something up wrong and puts it down, picks it up, puts it down, picks it up, puts it down. God's not going to use you. Again, we have this lingering guilt that goes on. The enemy's doing everything he can do to render us ineffective, to, to weigh us down in this guilt. And again, we learned that that's not what we're called to do as the children of God. We've been forgiven and freed. The blood is powerful enough. The grace is real enough. But without this, without this understanding that our sin is covered, that our sin is forgiven, that, that it's real, it's done, it's a judicial issue, without this, Without this forgiveness, without this blood, without this opportunity that God has extended to us to be forgiven and to be saved, the reality is that every single one of us would stand to face eternal consequences for our sins all by ourselves. There would be no one to blame. There's going to be no one to blame. You can't pour a finger at anybody else. If you do not enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, with his blood covering you, experiencing the forgiveness that only he offers for your sins, then you stand alone to face the consequences of your sin. Nobody will stand with you. Nobody will defend you. Nobody will help you. 
You stand there alone to face all the eternal consequences of your sin. You'll be there unforgiven. You'll be there without grace. You'll be there without mercy. You'll be there without hope. And you'll experience the punishment that God is reserving for all of his enemies in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. No hope, no help, no relief. Not after a million years. It is where you will spend all of eternity if you don't enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, it makes the grace, it makes the forgiveness, it makes the blood so sweet, so amazing. These blessings that we're given, again, is, is such an amazing thing to think about. To be in a reconciled relationship with God. The alternative is being on the enemy's side, separated from God. This morning I want to pray and move forward and talk a little bit more about this, this, this importance of relationship uh, with God. And so uh, hopefully God will speak to us in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for, again, what we've experienced so far. Lord, we uh, we're already feel full. God, just the songs, the time of worship, uh, the opportunities to fellowship, uh, the, the stirring of our hearts, uh, the connection, just everything that we've already experienced, God, has been so good. Now, we pray that you would continue to move in our presence. God, I pray that I wouldn't be a hindrance in any way, but that I would be set aside and just used however you see fit. Lord, we need your spirit to speak to us this morning. We need your word to be brought forth. We need you to move in this place because you're the only one that can and you're the only one that gets glory and deserves glory. And so God, we need you to uh, just do that work now. Again, uh, if there's somebody here as we've been praying already today that doesn't have this relationship with you, Lord, maybe they've never known what it really is like. Maybe they thought it had to do with church. Maybe they thought it had to do with, with a prayer, but they've never entered into a serious, real relationship with you. I pray today that that would change for them that they would give you their life, their life would be transformed, and they would enter into this eternal relationship with you, forgiven, set free. And um, Lord, we'll praise you for that. Lord, just move now in our presence, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, uh, it should be on the screen, all these verses. Genesis chapter 45 is where we're going to pick up. Verse 25. It says, and when they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And as you can imagine, the father who thought his precious son was dead for over two decades, it says that his heart fainted. He went into shock. He went into a numbness. Think about that. I mean, I, I have two girls and and and. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, we go sometimes a week without seeing each other, uh, but they're at camp or I'm on a trip or something like that, and, and, and it's hard, you know, I can't imagine to see uh, what it would be like to go a month or two months or three months or a year, let alone 24 years, this father hadn't seen his son. Again, he was a young man, uh, an older teen, a young man when he was taken, and now Again, he is hearing that his son is over all of Egypt, the prince, the governor of all, over all of Egypt. Again, literally that word, his heart fainted, means that his heart went numb. Uh, we, we go through things in our life sometimes that are such a shock to us, we don't know how to feel, right? We, we experience it and we think, I, I really, I don't know what my emotions are right now. 
I'm so, it's such an overwhelming overload of information and emotion right now. I, I don't even know what to feel. I feel kind of numb. That's that shock. That's what Jacob was experiencing here. He was experiencing a heart shock, a numbing. Uh, and it says he didn't even believe him. You know, this is not possible. For 24 years, if my son was alive, surely I would have heard from him at least somehow or have gotten wind some way that he was still alive. But after 24 years, this is the first time he hears that he's alive. And so he doesn't believe him. And he told them, and they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Again, you can kind of see him in a, in a stupor and just in, in disbelief. And as they're trying to convince him that this is a reality, he's just still not believing it's not true. It can't be possible. I mean, I've never heard of him. He's been 24 years. It's this and that. And they said, Dad, look, you've got to see this. Look at all this stuff. Look, it's, it's truly, it has Pharaoh's signet on it. It's, it's from Egypt. Joseph, look, he sent us all this stuff. He's real. He's alive. we got to go see him. And his heart begins to, uh, to, to come alive again. And Israel said, it's enough. That's all I wanted to hear. That's all I needed to know, that my son was alive. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. His life was completely changed. His perspective was completely affected once he understood that this was a reality. He says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to see, see him before I die. If we move on to chapter 46. It says, and Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifice unto the God of his father, Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of, uh, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here am I. He said, I am God, the, father, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand on thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, and their little ones, and their wives, and the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, and Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons, his sons' sons with him, his daughters, and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. So this royal invitation that's been extended by Pharaoh this, to this old, what we would consider patriarch, all of the ten brothers, again, Jacob, uh, Joseph's already there in Egypt. This, this, this moment where guilt could have won the day begins to be a turning point in their history. The fulfillment of God's prediction that he had given back in chapter 15. We're going to read that in just a second. But again, that this, this is what God had planned all along. The, the, the heartache, the 24 years of loss, the, the hurt, the confusion, the, 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 the no answers, the numbness. All of these things that they had gone through and all of the things that could have been, all of the guilt, all of, the, all of this stuff could have been, now becomes this turning point of God's grace in the history of the nation of Israel. And what could have been turns into, again, an amazing blessing for the entire nation. They would de indeed go into Egypt that we'll see uh, in, in another message. And they're going to go into isolation. But God has a, a plan for them because the prophecy would say that they would not lose their identity. They would not lose their identity, which is an interesting thing, right? Because sometimes when we go through things, we can feel like we lose our identity. 
No matter what you go through, again, a tragedy, something that changes the dynamic of your family, something that changes the dynamic of who you are, something that changes the dynamic of your, your relationships. Again, so many things can happen to us, and, and we, we begin to think this is it for me, this is over. This is, you know, I, I don't know how to move on. Again, sometimes God has, we've already talked about this, has this plan, even through our tragedy and trials. Our identity never changes as being a child of God. God was going to bring them, they'd already gone through something, he was going to bring them through this without them ever losing their identity. Again, I don't know if you've gone through something like that, but there have been several things in my life and ministry that we've gone through that feels like that it changed who you are, changed your identity. But it doesn't. Even though it feels that way, even though things may seem that way, you are still a child of God. And he still has a plan for you. No matter how bad or how ugly or how uh, hard or how difficult or hurtful or, or uh, how many questions you have, again, you never lose your identity if you're a child of God. Again, back in chapter 15 is where God was talking about when he spoke to uh, Jacob, reminding him of God's plan for the family of, of Abraham, the family of faith. It said in verse 13 of chapter 15, Then the Lord said to Abraham, no, no for certain. This is a settled matter. No for certain. That your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs. And they'll be servants there. Think about that. God knew this. God was telling him this. This is what's going to happen. Your family's going to go down into a country that's not their own country. They're going to be foreigners there. And then they're going to be turned into slaves. Imagine hearing that as a grandpa. You know, oh, well, God, change your plan. God, don't do that. You know, God, do something else. Now, God, this is what we're going to do. They're going to be in, their, in a different land, and they're going to be servants there. Listen what happens. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Think about that. Here you are, Grandpa. Here you are, Grandma. And you're hearing that your grandchildren and everybody else following after are not only going to go to a different land. They're not going to be in America anymore. They're going to go to a foreign land, and they're going to become slaves in this foreign land, not just for a year or two, but for 400 years. How many of us would be praying, God, change it? God, change your plan. God, don't do that with my family. God, choose somebody else's family, right? That's, that's kind of how we are wired. God, not us. Not my family, not me. Don't take us through that, but look what happens. But I will bring judgment upon the nation that they serve. Uh-oh, wait, what's going to happen? And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried with a good old age. I mean, that sounds like a better end of the story, right? 400 years of slavery, but it's okay. I'm going to bring them out. They're going to have great possessions. They're going to be a people identified with me. You, you're going to die at a ripe old age. You're going to go down to the grave just fine. It'll be fine. Everything's going to be good. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. Again, years before, we know in chapter 12, I believe, that Abraham had gone down to Egypt because of the famine before. Now his grandson, Jacob, and his 11 other grandsons were moving there permanently. Well, for their lifetimes. God shows up to comfort Jacob with this information. He shows up to comfort Jacob in the midst of maybe some unsurety, in the midst of some, some fragile conditions, God shows up and he reminds him of something very important. What did he remind him of? His word. He showed up to Jacob and he pointed him back to what he had already promised. 
So Jacob may be going to the unknown. It's great, I'm going to go get to see my son. And, 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 and so God, in, in the middle of this move, at this, at this moment where he's making these sacrifices, God shows up and he says, listen, I, this is what's going to happen. But I want you to know, I've already ordained this. I've already gone before you. You need to remember my word no matter what you go through. So leaving his hometown in Hebron, he, he goes to Beersheba again. And he there makes these sacrifices. Why is this so important? Because it was there <clears throat> where his father had lived, Isaac, where Isaac lived. It was also there where he had previously escaped his own brother's anger. If you've been here and we, you've been along the study, we remember that's where he fled to escape Esau's anger, was in Beersheba. Again, so he receives this vision. He gets the word from God. God reiterates this promise that he's already given, that he's going to make this great nation of his family. In Egypt, they would become slaves. But the end was not that. The end was that they would become a great nation, identified with God in their own land. What's also interesting about this is, as Jacob was sacrificing in Beersheba to the God of Isaac, is what we just saw, his father Isaac, we, it's interesting that while God told Abraham this was what he was going to do, that it didn't happen with Isaac. It happened with Jacob. And so why is that interesting? This was a, a, a vision that was comforting Jacob. But something we've talked about many times, what we see in this is that God's timing and God's ways sometimes don't make sense to us. Why not Isaac? Isaac was the promised son, right? You had Ishmael with, with Abraham and Hagar. That was the son of perdition. And then you said, you see God setting them straight. Listen, that's not me. You're, you're doing it in your own self. Trust me. I said it was you and your wife, Sarah. So God gives them the son of promise, which is Isaac. Why wasn't Isaac the one? God told Isaac, you're not going down there. Why was it not Isaac? Why was it Jacob? Some people might say, well, that's not very fair. Why, why, why did it happen for, to Jacob? I mean, uh, I mean to, yeah, to Jacob. And why did it happen to his son Joseph? And why did it have to go like this? Just remember, we may not get it. We may not see it. And we may not understand it when it happens. But what's vital, regardless of all of that, is that we trust him in his word. And that may seem so elemental and so basic, but as I said last week, our feelings change, our circumstances change, stuff changes in our life. And sometimes it changes at a rapid pace. Sometimes it changes in, the, in, the, in, the, in a moment. Here's your life, now here's your life. Completely different. And we don't understand it, we don't see it, we don't get it, we say, why is this going on? Our circumstances, our feelings change, but we remember that God never does change. His word has never changed. His promises have never changed. He is the solid rock that we should stand on. He is the rock, as the psalmist says, that's higher than I. He is the one that we should turn to. Again, his plan is the one that comes from eternity. How long have you been making the plan for your life? I don't know how old you are. 
But at some point in your life, you kind of had a plan. You kind of had an idea. This is what my life is going to go. God's plan has been around for all of eternity. Our plans fall so flat and so short compared to God's eternal plan. So whenever we're living our life and things go wrong and things go bad and things are difficult, we need to turn to the God whose plan has always been, whose word has always been. Again, we, we have a small time, a small perspective uh, in our life to make sure that everything's this way. Again, we've got to make sure that we ha- understand that God never changes. God wanted Jacob to go. God wanted uh, to bless them just as he has, he's promised. But with all of this, with this whole thing that we've, we've talked about up to this point, it all boiled down to this relationship. All of it. That's what I had to do with it. Say, plans and changes and difficulties and trials and two, uh, you know 24 years without his son and and all of these things and now he's going to see his son and all of this trial all of the whole narrative boils down to the relationship of God and his people again if it wasn't for God's grace if it wasn't for God's choosing to deliver and for salvation none of this would be possible right. Joseph was simply being used as an instrument Pharaoh, even a pagan king, was being used as an instrument. But it was all God's hand of blessing. It was all God's word of promise. It was all God doing this for his people that were in a relationship with him. But it was also for those who didn't quite get it. It was for those who didn't understand that it was about the relationship that God had desired to have with them. Some people didn't get it. Some people weren't understanding it. In the macro sense, he had this desire to have a relationship with the nation. In the micro sense, he had a desire to have this relationship with Joseph, with Jacob, with every single individual. And nothing has changed today. God still desires that of us. He has a church, he has a people, and he desires to have a relationship with his family, with his church, with his bride, with the body of Christ. That's what he desires. But what that encompasses and what that includes is God desires a very intimate and personal relationship with every individual in here. You you don't just have a close relationship with God because you are part of a local church. That's part of it. But you have an individual relationship with God that's unique from every single one of us. Yes, he wanted to bless and would bless them, but it was in and through that relationship. I think that we can so easily lose sight of that in our lives, so easily. We can get so focused on what God can do for us or what we want God to do for us that we miss the greatest blessing of all, and that's him. Think about how many times you've gone through something. Think think about it for a second. How many times have you gone through something and your prayer to God was, God, change this, fix this, help this. I'm not saying those are wrong prayers. But how many times in your life have you asked God to do something for you? I, don't, I can't count. I don't have no idea how many times I've asked God to do that. I know it's been a lot. But here's the danger in that. I think that we can get so focused on that and miss the true blessing of just having him 
as our God, as our Lord, as our friend. That's the life point this morning. Don't miss the greatest blessing of relationship with God while you're searching for the blessings that he gives you. God fixed this. God changed that. God saved this. God helped this. God do that. And we're so focused on that that we miss this day after day, moment after moment, interaction with our Father. Oftentimes we're in such a need for a fix of a blessing. God, you got to show up. God, you got to do this. We're, we're, we're in such demand. We're in such uh, dire straits. We're in such, uh, again, a need for God to show up and actually do something that in the midst of that, we leave off the greatest blessing of all. And that's actually this relationship that we have with him. And I, don't, I know that doesn't seem very tangible uh, in a very desperate situation. Say, God, I got a sick loved one. I mean, I got a sick loved one, and, and so why wouldn't I ask God to, to heal them? Absolutely. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with asking God for these things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with asking God to help or to fix or to save or to do or, or anything like that. But we can get so fixated on that and miss out or even worse, leave off this blessing of relationship with him. I need this fixed, though. I need this changed. I need this altered. I need this help. So I don't, I, don't, I don't see how remembering that I have a relationship with God is going to help in this obvious, tangible need that I have. If I don't have this, this is what's going to happen. So I need God to do this. It's a tangible need. How does me remembering and just abiding in my relationship with God going to change that? That's not a very tangible thing. I would say it's very much necessary to remember. You say, why? Here's why I think it's so necessary that, that, that our relationship with him is the greatest blessing that we see in our life. The greatest need, the greatest demand, all those things should be my relationship with God. Why is that so important? Why is it so important versus God fixed this, God changed this, God blessed this, God healed this? Why, why is that such in the important thing to remember? Here, here's one of the main reasons why. It sets the temperature for our trials. When you are embracing and living in an intimate relationship with God, it sets a different temperature in the trials that you go through versus when you're not abiding in that intimate relationship. When you're, when you're just kind of coasting and going about your days, you wake up, you get ready for work, you're so busy, you got so much stuff to do, the kids got so many things to do, that you're, you're trying to do these things and try to stay spiritual and, and get just a little bit of biblical, but you know that you're not in a close interaction with God. You're just kind of going through the motion. You're so busy, you got so much stuff to do, you've so, you got so much work to do. You know that when you go through a great trial, you look at it differently, you go through it differently. Then when you're walking day after day in a close, intimate fellowship with Almighty God, you look at the trials differently. You, you experience them differently. It sets a different temperature when you embrace the greatest blessing as being your relationship with God, not just what He can do for you. It forms a foundation that you stand on in the trials as well. 
The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But it says that his his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And it says, And he shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, and whatsoever he doeth, doeth, doeth shall prosper. His leaf also shall not wither. You know, this is, this is a foundational, this, this relationship with God, this intimacy, this connection with his word, this connection through prayer, this relationship that we're afforded through the grace, through the mercy of God, through the forgiveness. All of these things are so vital. When we look at God needs you to show up, man, God's been there all the time. And so when we, we are in this close relationship with him, it's not like, God, we're looking for you. We need you to intervene in this situation. You're, you're coming from a place of intimate connection already. You're coming from a place of, of, of firm foundation. You're coming from a, a different temperature in, in your, your relationship, even in the trials. You look at them differently. I mean, all you have to do is study the, the Apostle Paul. I mean, the guy went through just about everything horrible that somebody could go through, as well as the great persecution that he faced. And you know what he desired? To have fellowship with the sufferings of his Lord. To know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. That's what he said. You know, so everything that I have in this world, everything that I thought was gain, now I count as loss. I look at all the things that could be accolades in my life, and I count them as dung. Here's the, here's the thing that he said, that I may win Christ. Not all the stuff he can give me, not all the, 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 the deliverance that he can give me, not all the blessings, not all the healings, not all the, none of that, but that I may win him. Paul saw the great value of this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And from there, you see a different perspective than what we have many times in our lives. Because as soon as we start going through the trial, we start saying, God, change it. God, fix it. God, help me. God, we don't even consider, well, maybe God's going to take me through 400 years of slavery before he does something amazing in my life. Right? We, we don't look at it like that. We think, no, 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 I can't take four minutes of this, let alone four days or four years or 400 years. There's no way. But I wonder how many times we miss out on blessings that we desire because we're not embracing the blessings of God in that close relationship with him. You know, I share this because it's so important. A recent study, I'm going to try to wrap this up. A recent study revealed that just about 32% of churchgoers, listen to this, approximately 32% of churchgoers, people who go to church, just a church, well, a Bible, a, a Protestant church. 32% read their Bibles every day. Think about that. On average, 32%, a third, one out of every three Christians. We go around the room, maybe it's a higher percentage in this room, but we could say we go around this room and one out of three people read their Bible every day. To me, that's a staggering statistic of people who say that they've been delivered from hellfire. <laughs> People who have a relationship with the God of all creation, the God who's wiped away all their sins and forgiven them and given them grace they don't deserve. I mean, it's amazing to think that, that there is a people that exists that, that they say they have a relationship with this almighty God, but never 
encounter him except for frequent, uh, occasionally during a church service. The 32% read their Bible every day. There is another percentage that makes up a little bit over half uh, combined with that 32%. 27% say that they read their Bible a few times a week. So with those two combined, just over half of the people that were surveyed uh, that go to church read their Bible at least a few times a week. Again, think about this. This is a, an opportunity we have to think about the most important relationship in your life, human relationship in your life right now. Think about what would be the, the, the potentially most important human relationship. You have. I mean, if I had a relationship with this person, I would talk to him all the time. Some, some of you, a, a, a past you know, theologian or a past you know, preacher or, or a, um, maybe, maybe it's a, a, an athlete or something. If I had a relationship with them, I mean, I'd be talking to them all the time. It's amazing our perspective, how we have this relationship with God. Seems to be a little bit different sometimes. The more that someone attends worship services, interestingly enough, causes that percentage to be at the higher end. In other words, the more people attended worship services in a body, the higher the percentage of people who read their Bible more frequently uh, was. What does this say? Is there a connection to having an intimate, real relationship with God, the one who saved you. This intimacy that God so desires that he died to give to, to, to us. Why is intimacy so important? Why, why, are, why is this closeness so important? I think a couple things. With the closer you are with somebody, what goes up? Trust. Love. You spend time with them. You trust them more. You love them. I mean, there's, there's things that are cultivated when you have this intimacy and this closeness with the Lord. Why is that so important? The last few scriptures I'm going to run through and I'm going to close. Why is intimacy with God, a daily relationship with him, why is it the greatest blessing? Why is it so important? Why is it what, what we see in, this, in our story, why was it so important for, for, for this to, to be? Because it's from that close relationship that he can provide everything we need. Even the right perspective, the blessings that we need, not necessarily that we think we need, but that we need. Psalm chapter 37, it says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him, not in his stuff, not in his blessings, what he can do for you. Delight yourself in him, and it's from that place when you learn the heart of God and you're intimate with God that he will give you those desires that you've now made his desire, your desires are his desires. He'll give those to you. Matthew chapter 6, Be not therefore like unto them, because your father knows what things you have need of before you even ask them. But he goes on in Matthew chapter 7 to say this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Everyone that asks receives. Who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be open. Which of you have a son ask, uh, ask him for bread will give him a stone. Or if you ask a fish will give him a serpent. If then you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's what God desires. That's his heart. But it comes from this closeness. All, everything we've seen so far is about delighting in the Lord, talking to God, being in fellowship with him. Ephesians chapter 3, now unto him who is able to do more, far more abundant beyond all that we ask or think. See, God can do way more than what we even think or ask. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Amen. Again, because it's about a relationship with him. This morning, the question I have is this. Is your relationship with God the most important relationship in your life? I'm not saying say it piously. I'm not saying say it spiritually. I'm talking about just being real and answering that question.
Because while it's not okay to say no, it's more real to say no if it's not the most important relationship. If you say, you know what? I don't live like my relationship with God is the most important relationship in my life. My relationship with my job, that's how I live, like it's the most important relationship. I live like my relationship with money is the most important relationship. I live like my relationship with my kids is the most important relationship. Could you lose everything except for your relationship with God and still be satisfied? Everything. Spouse, kids, home, health. Could you lose everything that was dear to you and still be satisfied? I'm not saying that you wouldn't be sad. I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, could you still be satisfied? Do you have a real relationship with God, or do you just say you have a relationship with Him? I've asked the question before. It's been asked by others. If you could have heaven with all your family, you could have all your friends, you could have all the stuff you love to do, all the entertainment, all the hobbies, all the blessings that God has given you in this life, you could have it for all of eternity. But Jesus wasn't there. Would that still be heaven for you? And the difficult question, the difficult part about that is, is think about that for a second. Because if you have an intimate relationship with Christ, there's no way there's any, any place called heaven without him. But if, if somebody put that on the table, look, here's your family, here's your friends, here's all the stuff you love to do. I mean, what is it? I mean, you, you, you love golfing, you love sports, you love shopping, you love, you love cars, you love this, you have, what, what do you love? Here it is, it's all out there. You get all of this for all of eternity. All your friends, all your, all your family, all the fun stuff, all the entertainment, all these stuff. You can have all of this forever. Never goes away, never gets old. You can have it forever. But Jesus isn't there. Would that be an eternity that you would want? Man, if your heart pulls one way or the other, say, ooh, I'm, I'm saying there's something off with your relationship with the Lord. Man, there's, again, if Christ is your Lord, he's the most important person. He's the most, most important relationship you have. There is no heaven apart from an eternity with Christ. I challenge you this morning, I'm done. Just do an evaluation. Where's your relationship with the Lord? That's important. But if you're here this morning and you don't think that you have a relationship with God, I'm begging you to come this morning. We're going to have a time. The altars are open. You can come and you can ask one of the ministers that will be down here and they can show you in God's word how you can have a relationship, how you can know you're going to heaven, how you can know that you'll be forgiven. They'll show you that. And so I don't know if I want to do that in front of everybody. Turn the card in that says, I want to know more about this. Turn it in over here, and we'll talk to you in private. But don't leave this place without that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for this time of challenge this morning. Lord, I know I've been challenged over and over and over with this. God, I never want to live or have the perspective that anything in this life is more important than you because it's not. There's nothing more important than you. Lord, to walk daily with you is such a blessing. To, to have your word every day, you've given it to us, preserved it for us, is such a huge blessing. 
God, it never changes. You're always the same. So no matter what we go through, no matter what we feel, we know that your truth is still truth. It remains. God, you remain. And so help us to, again, as the psalmist said, run to the rock that's higher than I. Lord, that every day we would, we would run to you, we would turn to you, that we'd walk with you, we'd talk with you. God, it's from that place, I know. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout history that we can handle the trials. We can view the trials. We can make decisions. We can feel the right things from that right perspective. So God, help us embrace this, this great relationship we have with you. And if there's somebody here that doesn't have one with you, Lord, help them this morning. Move them so that they would enter into that today. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name we ask all this. Amen.